Acts chapter 18, and we're going to read through the end of that chapter and on into 19, verse 7. Now a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was an eloquent man, competent in the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in spirit, he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. And when he wished to cross to Achaia, the brothers encouraged him and wrote to the disciples to welcome him. When he arrived, he greatly helped those who through grace had believed, for he powerfully refuted the Jews in public, showing by the scriptures that the Christ was Jesus. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, Into what then were you baptized? They said, Into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying, and there were about 12 men in all. When I was a new believer... First year of being a Christian, I was a college student. And by the way, glad to ha- see you guys back, or at least some of you. You're starting to fill in. School starts up this week, right? All right. I was a college student like you guys. I was a new believer. And I remember two individuals approaching me um, in the cafeteria, and they said, did, did we see you at, at FCA? And, and I said, yeah, I was, I was there. And, and, and I'm thinking, oh, good, some guys just want to come and have lunch with me and, and interact and encourage me in the Lord. And, and they began talking to me about my faith in Christ. But quickly the topic turned to the issue of baptism. And they weren't just concerned with if I had been baptized, but they were more concerned with what I viewed the significance of baptism to be. See, in fact, it went on a conversation for a couple of hours about how, from their perspective, that baptism is the very act that saves you. That they wanted to make sure that I had been baptized and that I believed it was the waters themselves that cleansed me of all my sin. Well, although at the time I was not skilled in the scriptures, able to refute them, there was something in my spirit that just was saying, this just does not seem right. So, that Wednesday and, and throughout many of the weeks, I went to various people in my church, and, and it was a Baptist church. And I asked them, well, what do we make of this issue of baptism? But to my surprise, I was rather taken back to find out that baptism wasn't viewed to be that much or very significant at all. Yes, it's something that was commanded of Jesus. Yes, it's something that, that believers should do, but... Just make sure you don't even think about it being a part of your Christian walk 
Are you becoming a Christian? It has nothing to do with it. It is just a symbol. Nothing else. Don't worry about it. Well, that wasn't really the thing that I needed to hear because I had become a Christian when I was 18, but I was baptized when I was 8. And this contributed to my mindset of why I didn't need to be baptized. This idea, it's an optional thing. It's something that we do. We don't really know why. Jesus commanded it. John the Baptist did it. Jesus was baptized, so we do it. But we know it has nothing to do with our salvation. It has nothing to do with being a Christian. And that was the takeaway that I had. I, I talked to different people. You know, what, but the scriptures seem to talk about everybody being baptized. Yeah, yeah, you should do it. Okay. Help me. And I struggled through this, and it ended up it took me four years before I was actually baptized. I'm not saying that was the only reason that I struggled with it, but it was a contributing factor. I didn't feel the burden that as a Christian that I had to be baptized. Because all I was told in a Baptist church was optional in some sense. Well, this morning as we dive into Acts, we're going to see that baptism... It isn't the essence of salvation. It's not like those individuals who came to me and said, hey, it is the waters that save you. But it's also not some flippant thing that is just if we want to do it or not. That there is truth in the middle. And in fact, I would say that the scriptures uphold baptism to be far more important than I would uh, venture to wonder for many of us, even at Oak Park Baptist church. Baptism, I think we have feared, is uh, we want to make sure that it's far, far away from any sense of works righteousness that we might have stripped it of any meaning whatsoever. So we dive here in this text, and, and what we see is a peculiar text, an interesting text, um, one that has caused people to be quite puzzled. What is going on with Apollos and what is the deal with John's baptism and, and another baptism? Well, I hope to help us understand it this morning. We're first introduced in chapter 18, verses 24 through 28, to a man named Apollos. And he seems to be an ideal preacher. In fact, he, he is. Um, if you are familiar with 1 Corinthians, Apollos has come to Corinth by the end of our passage and Paul, when he's writing to them, is having to deal with the situation that they like Apollos. He's a gifted preacher. He's lively. He, he holds their attention. He uses rhetorical skill like the, the, the gifted sophists and orators of their day. Hey, if we want a preacher, we want Apollos. Not you, Paul. Sorry. And Paul is trying to help them understand that the content of the message is what matters. And yes, Apollos has the content, but Paul is saying, so do I. Paulus is well-educated, we see here. He is a native of Alexandria. Alexandria is the second largest city at the time in the Roman Empire. It is the cultural and intellectual hub of the Hellenistic world. It's built around a massive museum and a library with over 400,000 volumes. It might also interest you to note that in Alexandria is where the Jewish scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, were translated into Greek. And this would have been the Bible that Jesus and the apostles used. So it's no coincidence then that we read 
that Apollos is said to be an eloquent, a learned man, competent or mighty in the Scriptures. He's in the intellectual hub. He is in the place where the Greek New Testament, or Greek Old Testament, excuse me, was written, was translated. He's coming from all the right places. Furthermore, Luke instructs us that he, in verse 25 that he was learned, he was instructed, or that word is catechized in the way of the Lord. And he was fervent in spirit, and he spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus. And I don't know about you, but that's the kind of guy I want to be. I want to be mighty, competent in the Scriptures, lively in the Spirit, right? You want to wake people up? Well, that's what Apollos would do, and I'm trying to do for some of you. But what we read here is that there was something missing. There was something deficient in Apollos' ministry. And what we see here is that, that Apollos was probably coming in the synagogue. He was, he was preaching Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the Christ. And he was waxing eloquently from the Scriptures. He was able to parse every verb. He was able to unpack every word study. And he was able to stump every single so-called Bible scholar sitting in the pew. But look what happens in verse 25. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue, but when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they took him aside and explained to him the way of God more accurately. What are you talking about? What is more to be explained than Jesus is the Christ? What else does he need? Well, Luke had already told us at the end of verse 25 that he only knew the baptism of John. He's talking about John the Baptist. We read a little bit from Luke chapter 3 about John's baptism was a baptism of repentance, a baptism of water, but yet his baptism was looking forward to another to come. We come down to chapter 19, and Apollos has now gone to Corinth. And while he's there, we read verse 1 that Paul passed through, and now he's in Ephesus. This is where Apollos has left. He's in Ephesus, and in what Luke is going to do for us in this second narrative, which is right on the heels, is introduce us to a group who has the same deficiency. And really what Luke is, is doing here, he's putting both of these passages together and he's using one to interpret the other. Meaning we don't know in what way Priscilla and Aquila took him aside and explained him more accurately, do we? We don't know what they said and we don't know what happened afterwards. Well, Luke expects us to understand through Paul's instruction of these disciples he comes across. We don't know this for certain, but it could be that these are disciples who have come under the ministry of Apollos, and their deficiency is a result of his inadequate preaching, at least in this way. So what do we find here? Paul begins to speak to them, and, and we don't know what it is, but he seems to recognize that there's something missing. And so he says to them, verse 2, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? Something to take note of here is he says it should be evident that you have the Spirit of God. There should be a change in your life. 
And obviously there's something about these disciples that Paul is like, have you been converted? That's what he's asking. Do you have the Holy Spirit? And they said, no, we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Why haven't they heard that? Because they're like Apollos, they only know of John's baptism. If you remember what, what Nathan read for us, that John came in and says, that I baptize you with a baptism of repentance with water, but he who comes after me will baptize you with the Spirit and fire. So it's likely that they don't have any concept of the Spirit. The Old Testament had a, a promise of God's Spirit coming and indwelling upon people, cleansing them of their sin. But likely what is going on here is that they have not heard of its fulfillment. They haven't heard that the Spirit has come. They have not heard about Pentecost. So Paul goes on. Okay, you you haven't heard of the Spirit then, verse 3, into what then were you baptized? Now this, you should start thinking. Okay, there's some connection with the gift of the Spirit and baptism. That this is logical. Are you a Christian? Do you have the Holy Spirit? Have you been baptized? Why? Because these things are part of becoming a Christian. They're not optional. And so they go on and they say, well, into John's baptism, of course. Okay. Paul said, all right, now I understand what's going on here. You haven't heard of what has happened The thing that John's baptism pointed forward to has come. Now these people, they believed in Jesus. They're they're disciples. Apollos, he believed in Jesus. He was instructed in the way of the Lord. He knew that he was the Christ. But they, they still didn't have the whole picture. And so they're both given more accurate instruction. And then look what happens. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus, and when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. They follow through. They finish. Oh, this is what it means to follow Jesus. I'm baptized in his name, and I receive the Holy Spirit. That's what's going on here. And likely that is what happened for Apollos as well. We just don't have the same details but through Paul were given further instruction. It might have been that Luke is wanting us to hear it from the mouth of Paul and not Priscilla and Aquila, just for some authority reason. We don't know. But we're given the detail in the latter passage. So what's the significance of this passage for us? You might be like, uh, okay, well, I, I wasn't baptized by John the Baptist. So what does this have to do with me? Well, what it means for us is that Luke, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wants us to see that baptism is an important issue for Christians to accurately understand. If it wasn't important, oh, you were baptized? John's baptism was just the same. I mean, you went all the way in, you came out, hey, that'll do. That's not what Paul says. And I had people telling me, you know, you were baptized, don't get worried about the order of things. You know, you've done it, your heart's sincere, You know, it's not required. It's not like anything that does anything for you. It's just a picture. That's not what Paul says. He says, 
into what were you baptized because this matters. So this morning, what I want to do is this leads us to, to ask the question, what then is Christian baptism? Why is it so important? And why is it an essential part of becoming a Christian? And in answering this question, I want to show us from Acts four fundamentals of Christian baptism. So if you're taking notes, i got four points. And they're called four fundamentals of Christian baptism, okay? And number one, Christian baptism is an expression of repentance and faith. Christian baptism is an expression of repentance and faith. And that seems to be what Paul assumes by his question in verses 2 and 3. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you what? When you believed. Did you believe? You, you must actually assent to something. You must think a certain way. You must trust Him. Which built in that belief is repentance, right? Oh, but Jesus, I believe you, therefore I'm going to stop doing things my way and I'm going to start doing things your way. That's what repentance is. And Paul assumes that. And I want you to see that this is all over the book of Acts. So let's go all the way back to Pentecost. This situation that apparently these disciples have no idea has happened. In Acts chapter 2, that's where we're going. I didn't tell you what chapter did I. Acts chapter 2, and I'm going to work through several passages, so you might just want to write them down actually. But Peter is given a sermon, and likely I bet Apollos preached very similar. Jesus is the Christ. He is risen from the dead. That means he's the king of David, and you need to follow him. But that wasn't enough. What is it that Peter adds to his preaching? Acts chapter 2, verse 37. Now, when they heard this, that means Peter's sermon... They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? I mean, there's something you got to do? Yeah, here it is. Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now, some of that causes us some problems, right? Oh, no, 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 no. Baptism is work. We don't like that. There it is. What should you do? How do I become a Christian, Peter? Repent and be baptized. Okay, let's keep going on. Get a little more clarity here. Acts chapter 8, verse 12. Peter's gone and he's gone to Samaria and he's preaching. And after he's preached, verse 12, when they believed Philip as he preached good news, that's the gospel, about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were what? What? Baptized. Both men and women. Let's go to Acts chapter 10. This is Peter going to the household of Cornelius, an Italian man, going into Gentile ter territory. And Peter is, is preaching. And I'm going to begin in verse 43, Acts 10, 43. And Peter says, To Jesus, to him, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who what? Believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. So there, 
How do you receive forgiveness of sins? You believe, okay? You believe through his name. So while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. We're going to come back to that. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. And then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for what? Baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. And he, get this, commanded, that means that's a requirement, them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Did you notice the order was kind of shifted up there, right? It's connection. Kind of goes against what these two individuals who came to me saying, no, the water is what does it, but somehow they believe, they receive the Holy Spirit, then were baptized. We'll come back to that in a little bit. Acts chapter 16. Timothy, Paul, and Silas are preaching this Philippian jailer and his household. Philippian jailer says, what must I do to be saved? Pretty clear question, right? And Paul says, verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. Okay, is that it? We'll see what else he instructs him to do. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds and he was baptized at once. Yeah, it probably wasn't really important for them to just, you know, not do it. No. They came in, came to the house. Hey, your father has believed. Let me share the gospel. They believed. All right, you know what? You need to express this belief. Let's go be baptized. He and his family And then he brought them up into his house, set food before them, and they rejoiced along with their entire household that he had believed in God. We're getting somewhere here. Acts 18. If you're like, we get the point. Good. I want to be one more time, hit you over with the drum. Okay? 18, 18. This is where our passage last Sunday. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord. So what does that look like? together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were what? Baptized. So what does it look like to believe in Lord Jesus Christ? You repent of your sins, you believe the message, and you express it through baptism. So God says, this is how I want you to show that you believe. Do what I say. And I say, be baptized. So you do it. Same thing, I'm going to just quote one more passage, Acts 11, because we see repentance again. I want you to see it, belief, repentance, baptism. This is Peter recalling the baptism of Cornelius and his household, and he's recounting it. Acts 11, verse 15. As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell on them just as at the beginning. We, We saw that. And I remembered the word of the Lord, how he said, John baptized with water. This must be a significant theme to Luke. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. If then God gave the same gift to them as he gave to us when we, what, believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could stand in God's way? 
What is he talking about? Who was I to stand in the way of what? Baptizing them. Because they're critiquing. Why did you baptize these people? Because they received the Holy Spirit. They believed in Jesus. That's what you do. He goes on and he says, When they heard these things, they fell silent and they glorified God, saying, Then to the Gentiles also God granted what? Repentance. Oh, they believed. That means they repented. And because they believed and repented, they received the Holy Spirit, which also means that they expressed it through baptism. So this is crucial for us. That baptism occurs subsequent to when one repents and believes. That means after the fact. I need somebody to tell me that. When I was 18, I believed in the Lord. No, hey, your, your baptism when you're 8, no, no, you, you weren't baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You need to be baptized. This also illustrates for us the main difference why we as Baptists don't baptize infants. This is why what, one of the main differences that distinguishes us from infant baptism, which is practiced by our brothers uh, in the Presbyterian churches, Methodist churches, uh, and, and Lutheran churches, they baptize infants. I don't have time to unpack all that and the reasons behind it, but when you look through the scripture and the pattern that is here, what is the thing that requires baptism? Faith, repentance. Infants don't repent and believe. I got a little one over there. He's, he's got his head buried in the, in the cushions of the chair. He's not believing anything right now. <laughs> so if he heard that. This is why we don't baptize infants. Baptize believers. That's why we practice what's called believers baptism. And that's why we're Oak Park Baptist Church. Christian baptism, second fundamental. Christian baptism is an identification with Jesus. If you're back in Acts 19, verse 5, what happens? He baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus. He baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus. You're doing this for the sake of, in honor of, and this is exactly what Peter said in Acts 2.28. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Peter said the same thing to Cornelius, and he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And so we see this throughout all these commands to be baptized, that you, you do this in Jesus' name. However, Acts doesn't give us the explanation of what kind of this theological and spiritual significance of it is. It just says to do it, describes it for us, but doesn't really explain it. But the New Testament epistles do help us kind of explain these narratives. And if you look at Romans chapter 6, Paul does just that. Acts, or Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4, Paul's referring to their baptism, the church in Rome. He assumes You've been baptized because he's writing to Christians. And he says, do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. He's recalling their baptism. 
He's saying, hey, you remember when you were dunked in the pool or in the river? Let me tell you what that represented. It represented the death of you and the new life of you. That you, God has taken you and somehow mysteriously he has united your life with Christ so much so that his death is counted as your death. Meaning he took the punishment for you. And as you came out of those waters, it represented the resurrection and you are a new creation in Christ. Paul says it in a shorter way to the Galatians. He says, for as many of you were baptized into Christ, have put on Christ like a cloak. You've put them on. And this is good news for us. It's good news that to, to remind us through the waters of baptism, and this is another distinctive of, of, of Baptists, is that we've got a, a full pool. It's not full right now, is it, David? No, it's not. All right. But it's usually full when we have baptisms. And the reason is, is because we want to immerse you. Why? Because if you go all the way under the water, you're buried. And if we held you there, you would die. <laughs> That's the meaning. And, but you're coming back up like a new person. That's why we immerse people. And what it pictures is our death in Christ and our life in Christ. An analogous but inferior way of putting it is that baptism, you've heard me say this, is like putting on the team jersey. I'm on team Jesus. Maybe a better analogy would be the meaning of your wedding ring. Men and women, when you put that ring on, you're declaring something, aren't you? I belong to somebody else. I am not my own. Now, how many of you ladies would be fine if your husband said, hey, I love you, but I don't want to wear this anymore? No. But you wouldn't have the same, well, you know what? The marriage isn't bound up in this metal, so it really doesn't matter. That's the argument that some Baptists use about baptism. Well, it's not the water that saves you, so it very much must not matter. You don't do that with your wedding band. It's a symbol of a reality, right? And that's what baptism is, a reality that you are hidden in Christ. Third fundamental truth about Christian baptism is it is in association with the gift of the Spirit. Okay? So here we're, we're, we're treading in some maybe deeper water here. But it's in association with the gift of the Spirit. It's closely connected to your receiving the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, if you do not know, is the third person of the Trinity. Fully God. We worship one God and three persons. Yet the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, and, and the Holy Spirit is not the Son or the Father. Right? Confuse you enough? They're distinct persons, yet they are one God. We believe in a triune God. The Holy Spirit is a member of the triune God. And in the Old Testament, God promised to send His Spirit, to pour His Spirit upon His people, cleansing them from all their sin and giving them a new heart so that they would love and obey Him. This is the Spirit that Paul's referring to in Acts 19 too, when he says, so when you believed, did you receive the Spirit? 
Why does he ask that question? Because the Spirit is the sin quinon. It is the essential piece of being a Christian. It is the conversion. The Holy Spirit comes into your heart and gives you a new heart. Your, your old heart of stone is broken away and you're given a heart of flesh. Your desires are changed. You now love Jesus. You want to worship Him. And Paul asks, have, have you received the Spirit? And they said, we, well, we haven't heard of the Spirit. And, and they're not talking about the Old Testament promise. They're talking about, we haven't heard about the Spirit coming. It's available now? Or He's available Jesus says at the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1, verse 6, you don't need to turn there. You heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. They had only known John's baptism. That baptism wasn't associated with the Holy Spirit. Didn't mean it was an invalid and, and, uh, and unhelpful baptism. It looked forward. Jesus' baptism also is a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins, but it adds a component and the gift of the Holy Spirit. It represents you receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why Peter says in Acts 2, he says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. I've already kind of led on to this, but as we look at this developed throughout the narrative of Acts, you see the gift of the Spirit given sometimes before baptism and sometimes after it. Acts 8, Philip baptizes, but then Peter and John have to come later and lay hands, and they receive the Spirit. Philip also baptized a man named Simon the Magician. He was baptized, and he never received the Spirit. So just because you're baptized doesn't mean it's an automatic, boom, I get the Spirit. What's essential? There's another component, belief and repentance. Acts 9, Paul is filled with the Spirit. This is when he's converted on the Damascus Road. He's filled with the Spirit and then baptized. So the Spirit came to him sooner. Acts 10, same thing. Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And then Acts 19 in our text this morning, it's after their baptism. What I want us to see is that Acts guards us from two errors. Number one, the error of tying baptism too closely to the gift of the Spirit, as if the very act in and of itself is the, the means that you're saved doesn't it's not like that but it also guards us from not tying it at all to the gift of the spirit and that's where i i would say maybe some of us struggle with because we want to so distance ourselves that we empty baptism of everything but clearly it's associated it's around it's hovering around these things so baptism then is a symbolic act of a spiritual reality that has occurred in the life of the Christian, namely the gift of the Spirit. How does it do that? Well, the water illustrates also the washing of our sins. So when you come up, you've seen someone be baptized, and if you're a Christian, I'm assuming you've been baptized. You come up and the water is rushing over you. 
And there's symbolism there of the Spirit rushing over you, just like Ezekiel promised when the Spirit is poured out and will cleanse you of all your sin. That's what the water represents. Paul puts it this way in the book of Titus. He saved us not because of works done by us in righteousness. So get that out of the way. Whatever he's about to say doesn't have to do with works righteousness because we, we know it's by grace through faith. But according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. What's he referring to? Washing. He's, he's recalling their baptism. He doesn't associate that and lump that in as work salvation. Just like he doesn't associate repentance with work salvation and, and belief with work salvation. No, he doesn't say that. They're all intertwined closely together. So in the book of Acts, then, the gift of the Spirit and baptism occur together and are both part of becoming a Christian. Here's the last fundamental. Christian baptism is an initiation into the church. Notice, no one says, okay, I'll go baptize myself in the book of Acts. There's no example of it, right? No one says, okay, no one does that. Everyone is taken to be baptized. They all are baptized. And, and kind of going back to Pentecost, we see this phrase at the end of that, after they're baptized, Acts 2.41, so those who received his word were baptized and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. What were they added to? They were added to the number of the people of God. And who is the people of God? The church. They're added to the church. So that means baptism is part of this initiation ceremony by which you become a member of the people of God. They're added to the church. They're added in a formal sense, an initiation ceremony. I want, you, I want to read to you our confession of faith. Not the whole thing, don't worry. But the statement on baptism. And I want you to take the things we've seen in Acts and see that they're all here. Christian baptism is the immersion of a believer in water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It is an act of obedience symbolizing the believer's faith in a crucified, buried, and risen Savior. The believer's death to sin, the burial of the old life, and the resurrection to walk in newness of life in Christ Jesus. It is a testimony to his faith in the final resurrection of the dead. Now listen to this last phrase. Being a church ordinance, it is a prerequisite to the privileges of church membership and to the Lord's Supper. Lord's Supper is the other side of the coin. Baptism's the, the initial sign that you're a part of the people of God, but the Lord's Supper, when we participate in it, it's the ongoing sign that you're part of this covenant community. And it has, is wrapped up with symbolism as well. And I would say we probably have a flippant attitude to it as well. But Paul seems to warn the Corinthians that those of you who take it flippantly are, are, in, are in danger of judgment. 
Same thing's going on with baptism. So this morning, as we've looked at baptism and acts, I want to kind of put this together and just quote one Baptist theologian who says it this way, the the experience of becoming a Christian includes five integrally related components that took place usually at the same time on the same day. And it means same time, like generally at a moment. Repentance, faith, confession, receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, and baptism. When we look at Acts, these are all components of what it means to become a Christian. And somehow, and I know where it came from, we're trying to parse it all up and and trying to make sure we cleanse it of any works righteousness whatsoever that we, we only try to isolate, well, did you believe? And we make it just a purely personal endeavor. But Acts says, oh, no, no, no. The people who believe, they've repented, they confess their faith, And they are baptized, and they are the ones who receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So this morning, you claim to be a follower of Christ. Maybe you'd say, yeah, I'm I'm a Christian, but you've never been baptized. Or you were baptized as an infant. But now you say, well, I follow Jesus. Well, I want to put forth the Scripture to you that you're not going to find infant baptism anywhere. But if you have not been baptized and you're thinking about it, and maybe in your spirit you know, I should be baptized. And maybe you are like me and in your mind you're saying, but it's not essential. I hope that you've been persuaded otherwise here in Acts. Because to remain unbaptized after this morning is is likened to a man who tells his girlfriend, I love you and I want to spend the rest of my life with you, but sorry, I'm not going to marry you. Uh, yeah, that doesn't make sense. That's essentially what you're doing if you continue to say, I'm a follower of Jesus, but I'm not going to follow you. So this morning, if, if, if the Lord is convicting your spirit, if you're a Christian, if you claim to be a believer and you have not been baptized, come speak to me, talk to one of the pastors, talk to somebody you know, and then let's get baptized. All right, let's pray and we'll sing one closing song. Father, help us be Bible people. I know we like to summarize things. We like to make things simple and neat. And that is appropriate, but Lord, sometimes we forget details that matter. And so, Lord, as we revisit, as a Baptist church, the doctrine of baptism, Lord, I pray that you have refreshed us, jogged our memory, correct us where we have not thought of it in the means that we should have. But, Lord, I pray for anyone here who's yet to take that first step of obedience and say, I want to follow you, that, Lord, that they would that they would follow you in the means and the way that you have commanded, and that is to be baptized. And so, Lord, I pray that. I pray that you work in their hearts, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and let's sing.